today in the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. We have a somewhat short episode of my racing life and career with Haas Formula One team principal, Gunther Steiner. Went for a little over half an hour, trimmed some of the items here for the sake of brevity. And I'll tell you what, if you happen to have watched Netflix's Formula One Drive to Survive, well, you know plenty about Gunther. And if you've followed his career for a little while as I have, probably somewhere around the year 2000 is when he came on my radar with the Jaguar Formula One team, you'll know that he has done a variety of very interesting things in this sport. So in the conversation here, open with his racing origins. Really fascinating as well to learn about rallying. Group B being the cornerstone of what he did as a mechanic and then moving on up. Worked with a lot of legendary drivers there. Got to Formula One at the turn of the century. Jaguar team definitely known for being a hard environment to work within. We get into some other topics as well. We know that the Haas F1 program has certainly dealt with some dramas. Seem to be on a faster and better path in recent, recent times. Gunther's emotions and how that team is managed with a lot of high emotions comes up in conversation. Also, the way that they deal with their drivers. It's a very different approach than you find with many teams. Start to close here with a conversation from a few years back about how Santino Ferrucci, American driver from Connecticut, was bounced out of Europe after some boorish behavior at the Silverstone GP2 round, where he was a Haas F1 affiliated driver. And we close on the topic that we frankly had a couple laughs with, and that was Gunther's mastery of curse words, once again, on fine display Netflix. So some serious content, some lighter stuff with Gunther. Enjoyed getting to know him a bit and a bit more about his background. And I'm hoping we'll do a round two here sometime soon, delve in a bit deeper into more recent efforts of his with the Red Bull team and obviously a deeper dive into Haas Formula One. So let's get rolling with our man Gunther Steiner here on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. So Gunther, I was loving the fact that your career in the sport started as a mechanic in 1986. It's also the coincidentally the same year for me where I started in motor racing as a mechanic in 1986. Mine was in junior open wheel. Yours was in rallying. Curious where that passion came from. Was rallying something you always wanted to do, or how did that opportunity come into your world? You know, at the time, that was the heydays of Niki Lauda in the 70s, late 70s, and things like this. But I watched it. I was passionate about it. And then uh, when you get a little bit older, I played ice hockey. I, got the, uh, I, I watched it, and then I always loved cars. So I was just into it. And then maybe when I was 16, 17, 18, I was not so interested. It was interested, but not a fan of it, of motorsports. But then... It came back after my, I had to do military service in Italy at the time uh, was uh, needed. And then I said, what are you, what are, I'm going to do with my life for the future? I don't want to stay a mechanic all my life, you know? Uh, and uh, I just uh, was getting interested again in motorsport. And I just found uh, uh, a job adverse in a, in a newspaper at the time. We, got, we didn't have internet as you, well, as you well know in the 80s. So, and I wrote to them and they invited me to an interview and they took me on. But it wasn't particular that I want, I just loved 
motorsport, not particularly, I loved rally, because rally in that days was, uh, in their heydays, in the 80s, Group B cars and all that stuff, you know, so, uh, but I love Formula One, and that is how I entered. That was the easiest way for me to get into uh, motorsports. The thing I love about your entry into motor racing through rallying, though, this is the hardest, the toughest, the dirtiest, right? I think about my own path. By comparison, it was easy. Everything's nice and clean. Every beautiful shop floors. What's it like getting to know motor racing from the hardest angle, hottest, sweatiest outdoors that had to have shaped your mindset of what this sport could be? I think the nice thing with rallying, first of all, it was the heydays. I mean, uh, uh, it was the last year of Group B, 86, obviously. But it was a fantastic cast. But what also was like, when, when you want to get a little bit away from where you, not where you come from, but a little bit exploit the world, rallying is perfect because you travel the world, but you don't travel it like you do in circuit racing, that you go from the hotel to the racetrack. You're actually, and in the old days, with no cell phones or nothing, sometimes you were gone two weeks, three weeks in a country and the rallies all over the country. So you not only you, you, you do, you, you enjoy the racing car, you enjoy also the country. You get to know every night you stay in a different hotel because you travel around over the special stages. And in the 80s, the, the rallies were a lot longer and a lot less organized than they are now. So not only it was the motorsport, but it's also the, 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 the way of living. You know, you could see new uh, places of the world without having to pay for yourself. And in the 80s, I, mean, I, I think a, a lot of young people will read this. In the 80s, it was not like this, like now that you could afford to fly anywhere. You didn't have, I mean, at least I didn't have any money. I shouldn't speak for other people, but I didn't have enough money to fly to Australia or to fly to uh, Sweden. I, did, I, I couldn't have even dream of going there, you know? So the, the furthest you could go on your motorbike, on your car. I mean, uh, my, my first flight, was when I was uh, 20 years old. Wow. And what kind of camaraderie gets built, Gunther, when you are, as you mentioned, whether it's snow, whether it is Africa Safari Rally, you name it. What kind of brotherhood, sisterhood is built when you are working, you know, on a racing team, but in constantly changing and tough conditions? I'm guessing that might be, I don't know if this is correct, but I'm guessing it might be a little bit different than, say, Formula One team crew, a NASCAR crew. Is there anything to that? We have to, uh, there are some more elements. It was the times were different and the quantity of people. In these days, there was not 100, 100, 200, 300, 400 people teams. It was a, a group of 15 guys which did everything, you know. We had to do everything and you learned a lot, but you needed to stick together because you, you had to have each other's back because otherwise you just couldn't do it. And the camaraderie comes in and you get friendly. And then as well, you, you go to the pub together because uh, the only thing you do is you work and you sleep. So in the evening, you have no time to cook yourself. So you go to eat together, you go to drink together. So, and it, it just was a completely different time and uh, the amount of people uh, and you travel together, but it's a few of you, you know, and you have to drive with the van and the rallies were very long. So the sleeping period was very little. So one was driving but he needed to rely on the other one that he got the right way, but one also needed to rest a little bit. So it, it was pretty cool. I, I found it a, a really cool time when you're growing up when you're 20 years old to be able to do this. That's not bad at all. What about? No, absolutely. I cannot complain about that one. <laughs> what about Gunther from a 
career progression standpoint. So it, it's not uncommon for a mechanic to show skill, then receive more responsibilities, could go towards management, could go towards engineering, the technical side. What desires did you have as a young rally mechanic in terms of the path you wanted to go on? And how did you start leaning in that direction? Was that by asking and pushing? Were there folks that looked at you and said, we're choosing you to go in this direction? What was that like? No, I never had any, I just, uh, I just love the sport and I have been through uh, uh, most of the, uh, uh, of the disciplines in motorsport, uh, but taking the opportunity, I would call it how I progressed. I never had in mind, I need to get here. I need to get there. No, if there was an opportunity, uh, 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 I took it because uh, somebody had a challenge and said, Hey, Gunther, you want to take this challenge on? I said, I saw it as an opportunity all the time, you know? So if something and taking responsibility, when there was no natural leader, I, I just took on leadership, you know, but it wasn't like by planning doing it, you know, things just happened in life, you know, <laughs> it, it maybe sounds too simple, but it is like this. This is one of the brilliant aspects though, because it's the question that I'm sure you've been asked many times before. How does a rally mechanic one day run Formula One teams? But I, again, I love the aspect that we have such a long arc of your career to look at here. Your move through rallying, I find fascinating as well, because it's with some, you know, legendary names, you know, Jolly Club, for example. Also, we move into working with some phenomenal drivers, legends as well, Carlos Sainz. Uh, Colin McRae, share with us those experiences because your responsibilities grow. You're moving into the technical side. You're also working with folks who we can look back and say, these are some of the all-time greats as well. Oh, absolutely. And I've been very fortunate to work with people like this because you always learn of people. I, I mean, you said a few of them. I mean, unfortunately, Colin is not around anymore. But Carlos, for example, I worked as a mechanic for him for a year long. I did every recce, every test and every rally with him. And then I don't know how many years later, when, that was when he drove the Lancia. That was in the beginning of the nineties. And then I, I moved up to be technical director, uh, uh, at M sport and we took him back as a driver. And, uh, I learned so much from Carlos and now in, in formula one, we have got still a very good relationship. I mean, I wouldn't say every race weekend I see him, but I see him every race weekend, you know, and uh, I'm, we are friends because we respect each other, you know, and uh, he knows where I come from, you know, it, it, it's a fantastic thing. This guy won two world championships in rallying, then I don't know how many Dakars he won. We had a little party for him winning the car because I feel happy for him at his age to do what he's doing with the passion he's doing it and with the professionalism he's doing it. Because that is the amazing thing with Carlos. That's where I learned a lot as well. But then I learned a lot of other people as well. With, uh, I, I work with Eddie Irvine, which is, as a human oh. being, is a great guy. He, he's smart. He's smart. But he, he's smart, you know. Uh, and uh, I don't know what I say. I'm mean, not the smartest one. But you can do a lot with, uh, with things, you know, learning of these people. They're very good people. There. And I was, I was very fortunate to work, have worked a lot with them. And... I cannot say all the names and some will be pissed off with me now because, oh, you didn't mention me that I was a great driver. I said, yeah, sorry, I forgot you, you know, but they know me, so it will be okay. <laughs> so there's this fascinating transition in your career, Gunther, of having spent 
you know, 15 plus years of your life in the trenches and rallying, and you are recognized and nominated within the, the general Ford Racing Group for consideration within its Jaguar Formula One program. We could probably do an entire separate episode about the Jaguar program, but tell me about this, the conversations going on behind the scenes, because you being in a technical position, managerial position on the rallying side, then getting a offer to apply uh, your Mm -hmm. capabilities to Formula One, that might be something that some folks turn down. And say, no, I've dedicated my life so far to rallying. This is where I want to stick. What interested you in the move to Formula One? Uh, it, it, it's very strange because I, I was pretty happy in rallying when I was there. So uh, uh, when, when uh, Nicky Lauda took over uh, Jaguar Racing and uh, whatever it was called at the time, the Premier Racing Group, or I, I don't remember it. So. I didn't know Nick. I obviously I knew Nicky who he was, but I didn't know in person. Never spoke with him or anything. So I was told afterwards he was looking around to find people which uh, uh, he would like to work with him. And because it was owned by Ford, obviously Jaguar, he asked the motorsport manager of Ford if he knew anybody in the Ford camp which could help. And uh, that guy, he, 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 he was and he's still a friend of mine. I said, hey, if you want, you can speak to this Gunther Steiner guy. He seems to be doing a decent job in rallying, so uh, maybe he's interested to come here. So one day I get a call, phone call from uh, uh, Nikki's assistant, and she said, Mr. Lauda would speak with you, uh, would like to speak with you. And I was like, Be sure. Uh, I mean, you know, he was one of my childhood heroes. Sure. Uh, I mean, right, like, yeah, sure. So okay, just uh, let him know to phone me. Oh, uh, can he phone you now? Sure. So, <laughs> so he called me up and said, I would like to meet you. Sure, Mr. Lauda, you know. Uh, uh, can you come to Vienna? I said, actually, I'm, I have to be in Vienna in two weeks' time. Can we meet? Yeah, sure. Uh, so we met for dinner, and everybody told me, yeah, it will be a 20-minute uh, quick dinner with Mr. Lauda because he's quite, you know, to the point. Okay, well, fine. I mean, if nothing comes out, I met Mr. Lauda, which was one of my childhood heroes. So I went for the dinner. We, 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 we talked two hours, and uh, uh, okay, we go. So next morning he calls me up and says, I don't know uh, uh, what, what I'm going to do with you, but you're, you will be working for me. Okay, let me know what you want to do with me. <laughs> and it all started there. And uh, then, then, then I don't know what he did. This was in uh, the beginning of the season, and then it went on for a while. And then I started the year after there because I had to finish the homologation of one of the Focus Rally cars, and uh, that thought let me go to Jaguar. And there it started, and I came... Uh, a good friend of Nicky in the time in, in the short time we worked together in a year and uh, we stayed uh, friends until he passed away last year. And this is where I first started following your career, Gunther, and this is one that I've always, it's intrigued me because the Jaguar F1 program had such great potential and knowing that it went through a number of shakeups and eventually was wound down, I never knew whether you were brought in as someone that they felt could take this program to the front, to the mountaintop, or if they were just hoping to have someone keep it running while they weren't exactly sure what they're going to do with it. Did you ever get a feeling? Because sometimes when we see this in sport, sometimes folks get brought in and they aren't always told the exact motives for why they've been brought in. Did you get a feel whether they were really going to give you 
all the strength and power to take this program uh, to P1? Or were you not sure if that was their motive? No, I think when Nikki came in, uh, the program uh, uh, was there to go to P1. And the Professor Reisle, Reisle, at the helm of that, he gave all the power to Nikki and uh, uh, pushed it hard. Then I think uh, the, the Premier Automotive Group got struggled financially. You know, they were unsuccessful. And, and uh, a lot of uh, people got involved in it and, uh, and it changed. And when I charged, when I started there, it was the be- beginning of the change because I agreed with Nikki before. It was the beginning of the change, but it was always just played politically internally what to do with it. You know, there came people in every year, somebody else internally at fault took care of the program. There was never a consistency and there was the big plan missing because in good companies, you have a big plan where you want to go to. And at that time, there was no big plan. There was just like, okay, what are we doing? It's, a, it's a, an agenda item. We say something and then we move on. But it got on top of the agenda uh, because it spent a lot of money, obviously. But with no big plan behind it to, uh, to, to, to say how to do it, you know. So it was just a continuous change. And I think there was never a clear uh, uh, mandate what it should achieve. So that's for it died. There was not a good mandate in the beginning. There was nothing at the end. It was just uh, going along. And uh, I, I think you, uh, you're thinking it out too much to think that there was a clear direction. It wasn't clear. It was <laughs> the flavor of the day. That was the direction. I want to skip forward a bit to your role today with Haas. This is something where over the last year or two, uh, fans have gotten to know you, folks who might not have been aware of you through the the Netflix uh, series. Uh, I've heard you maybe have not watched uh, Drive, uh, the Drive to Survive Netflix series. Curi- is that something on your plans with the shutdown? Because you have a whole layer of new stardom you might not know about uh, due to this documentary series. No, and I'm not, my, my wife's trying to tell me, you need to watch it. No, I don't, I do not want to watch myself. I don't enjoy that. <laughs> and don't ask me why. I don't know. I just have no, maybe I watch it when I'm older, you know, when I'm over it. But uh, what, what I don't want to analyze myself because then I be I, I will be different and it's no point to be different at the moment. Yeah, you can say, if you watch yourself, you learn something. Yes, sure. I agree with that one as well. It could be beneficial as well. But in the moment, I have no intention because I think I I would overthink it. One of the main things that folks have responded to in getting to watch your efforts running the Haas Formula One program is it seems that you are fighting constantly to keep a program on track moving forward and yet there've been there's been a lot of drama to deal with uh, in just over the last couple of years. What has that been like for you? And I ask that because you know, at Jaguar, you certainly dealt with a lot of drama, but you've also been a part of racing programs where things were very straightforward and simple. Pressure, stress, hair turning gray wasn't necessarily part of what you experienced. How has this been different for you? The last, the last year was especially challenging, but my hair turned white, not gray anymore. I passed gray uh, three years ago, you know, so I, they are going white now, you know, so, uh, but, 
Yeah, I had challenging moments, and, but I, I would say I, I enjoy challenges as long as they are positive challenges. You know, if you just fight negative challenges, and I think in racing, I always fight a good fight because I want to get better or, or do more. Or, or, uh, so I, I think they are pretty good. And these are challenges and fights which are not, you know, they, they change life, but not in a way that they, they endanger you or something. You know, they endanger your family or anything. So I, I think it's part of it. It's part of it, which I, why I love the sport, why I love going racing. The racing or the qualifying event and the race event, when I see all coming together, that is what it's where, where, where I feel happy. It, it's strange. And if you have a bad result like that last year, we could qualify good. I'm so happy. And then on the race, I'm so unhappy. And that, that's where you see this guy, which is up and down like a yo-yo. But on a Monday, I, I'm still a little bit depressed. But on Tuesday, I'm, I'm completely normal. I have none of these uh, 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 emotions anymore. I'm pretty, I'm emotional, but in a positive way, emotional, you know, not upset or anything. But I do racing because that is what I love to do, the race, the competition. And that's why I don't see it as a, I mean, yeah, it's not nice to fight uh, to be second last, but it's still, that is what we need to do. We need to get everything out of what we have got, and that is why, why I do this. I want this challenge. You mentioned emotions. One of the fascinating things to observe is a lot of passionate people within the Haas program, whether it's a team owner, Gene Haas, whether it's uh, Romain or Kevin among your drivers, yourself, there's a lot of passion. There's a lot of fire in those veins across a lot of people. That can be a combustible thing where everything explodes or can lead to great results. How do you manage this? How do you manage a lot of very passionate people, not quiet, not staring at their shoes, but folks can get their blood up pretty quickly. You as well. Uh, sometimes you've said, you know, you, your emotions lead quite often, uh, depending on the scenario. It seems like that might be among the greatest challenges to try and keep everything functioning successfully with a lot of uh, fiery folks. I would say sometimes you don't have them under control. You <laughs> they come out. No, what I would say, there is a lot of passionate people, not only with us in Formula One, but in some teams or in other companies. And I'm not saying it's wrong or right. It's indifferent to me you're not allowed to lift them. You have to swallow them. In our place, you can lift them, you know, because because I'm the first one to lift them. So why should I not allow the other people to lift them? Because otherwise you're a bully. Huh? So uh, uh, in my opinion, and, and that's why I always say, we go back to normal on a Tuesday. You know, I'm never too proud to apologize if I said something stupid, which I too often do, uh, but I'm never too proud to go back and say, I didn't mean it like this. It was in the heat of the moment. I'm, I'm sorry, no, and I mean it when I say it, otherwise I don't say it, you know. So again, and that's for I think we can live otherwise. How could we live together with, with, with what we tell each other? And wrong, wrong or right is not me to judge. I think we, that is how we are. That is how we do it. Uh, I think uh, we have got more of these people in our place because they are in other places as well, but in our place they can live their passion. That's my opinion about it. Then again, it's an opinion. I, I, it's not a fact. So I, I cannot make it a fact, but uh, this is what we do. And for sure, I, I would have thought we would calm down, but it, it, we did not, you know, which is a very strange thing to happen. And, uh, but as long as we can live and be civilized to each other the day after, it's fine. And, and I would say we never insult each other on a personal level. Well, that's no fun. Um, 
kidding aside, though, I love as well what we've seen of the relationship between you and the two Haas Formula One drivers. There are some teams, I've worked for them uh, in the States, where the drivers are treated like world-famous stars. They are protected. They put in a, in a bubble where they are just treated as the rarest of species, and uh, they are prized like that. And then there are other teams that treat their drivers like they're no different than the caterer or the truckie or anyone else. It seems like the culture within the Haas Formula One program with your drivers is, no, we're not going to look at you as prima donnas. And if I need to yell at you and get tear into your ass, I'm going to, and vice versa. Is that a natural evolution, Gunther, of how you all have learned to work together? Or is that a culture you have tried to bring? Because it's very unique. Okay, I, I never thought about that one, but I, I think I just treat everybody uh, the same. Hmm. It, it's all the people. I'm always uh, honest to people. I tell them what I think. A lot of people don't like that, but I, normally people get used because what can you say to somebody who tells you what he thinks, if you agree or not? And I never tell them that they have to agree. I, I, I often go away and uh, uh, agree to disagree. It's fine with me. I'm not, I'm not getting upset about that. And I do the same with drivers, but that's in general my way of doing it. And I think they don't dislike that because as you know, uh, Formula One is very, uh, there is politics as well. I don't play them. You know, I, I just tell what I think and move on. You know, it's like, there's nothing better than to be honest to people. You know, it's like, I've been always like this in my life. Uh, I mean, uh, I learned that a lot also from Nikki. It's no point to, uh, uh, call something what, what, what you see I mean if then somebody disagrees you can discuss it I'm always open to discussion but and I think that's why we, we developed this culture it was not intentional it just developed itself you know how we are had an interesting scenario a couple of years ago with a young American driver who was part of your development program Santino Ferrucci he did not cover himself in glory at the Silverstone Formula 2 race there were many people, probably more on social media than the real world, saying, drop him, fire him, do the worst things possible to him. And yet, you and the team did not react that way immediately. That struck me as a very interesting management profile. Maybe if you could share some thoughts on how you dealt with this crisis that was not of your own, you didn't make it, but... Someone affiliated with the team received a lot of negative backlash for their actions. You could have done a lot of things, cut him immediately or otherwise. How did you choose to deal with Santino's incident and what led you in that direction? No, it's, it's very interesting. I, I think Santino is still a good kid. I, I, I think he, he struggled at the time a little bit with, 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 every, with his surroundings, with what he was doing. And he's a good race car driver, as you see in IndyCar. He's doing, he's doing himself proud, you know. So, uh, and I, I, I need to thank also Gene that they're allowed to do these things. Because in the end, why would you kick somebody who is on his knees? He got kicked from everybody else. So why would I join to kick a kid which tries to make a living and a career? He has not done anything against me, but he did against other people. He needs to sort out with them, mm. not with me, to be honest. I, I mean... I'm not giving you my opinion, what he did, what I think about it. But for me, it was like, uh, he needs to deal with this with himself. 
But I, I don't want to give him another kick in his. He's on his knees. The guy, everybody has to go at him, you know. Which there maybe was a reason to ever go at him because what he what he did maybe wasn't right, you know. But deal with it. But I don't need to join in to beat him down. And fortunately, uh, with having uh, Gene Haas as the owner, you're allowed to do this with a big corporate. You wouldn't be allowed to do this. The corporate would tell them we need to distance ourselves from somebody who behaved however he behaved, you know. But with Gene, it was like. No, it's no point that, that we give him more trouble than he has got already, you know. Let, let, let people live. And again, Santino came back, you know. How would I feel now to have kicked him three years ago? Wouldn't feel. There's nothing in it for us, you know, for me. And so that, that is the reason why we didn't react. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that he's back on his feet, and uh, I hope he makes a good career out of it, like I do for everybody, to be honest, you know. Curious, because I've had a lot of folks ask me, does Gunther use more swear words in English or German or Italian? Folks have loved hearing you, especially on this documentary series you haven't watched, but your ability to insert the F word in a conversation, it is like hitting an apex at 200 miles an hour. It is crisp. It is precise. Folks absolutely love it. Just curious, is this, do you enjoy using curse words for punctuation or is it just flow out of you naturally in whatever situation? Cause you've taken it to a high art, my friend. <laughs> Swearing at the high art. I think my mom wouldn't be proud of that definition of me, you know? So, uh, no, I, I don't know. It's it because I, I never formally studied English. I mean, and people is amazed about that one. I learned that when I went into rallying, when I started rallying, I, I moved to, uh, uh, Belgium from Italy. I didn't. I didn't have one lesson of English before I went there. I learned that uh, to be with the guys, and you just learned that there was always ninety percent of my colleagues were English. And uh, I still have got my main teacher. I, uh, he still works. Uh, he doesn't work for a race team anymore. He works for a Formula One team, but he now works for one of the race tracks. And he's my teacher. I lived with him, and I think uh, 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 next time I, uh, I see him, I thanked him already. Uh, for all the good lessons of how how to use that word, because I think he's my main teacher on that one. So all the accolades go to him, how I use that word, not to me. I was with him and he, I think he just learned, when I learned English, it just came with it, you know, because I was always with the guys. Thank you so much, Gunther. Really enjoyed the conversation. No Hopefully uh, we'll get to do this again sometime soon. Yeah, no worries. Just let me know when you, when you need it. Thank you so much, sir. And that was our man, Gunther Steiner. Thanks again to the Haas Formula One team for arranging this. And as I mentioned at the opening, hope to do more with Gunther. Guy was seen a lot, done a lot. Boy, not had a quiet or easy career. And those types of folks fascinate me, especially someone like Gunther who has had success, but also had plenty of challenges. So the folks with a couple scratches, bruises, a couple dents, those are the folks that I really like getting to know more about and interacting with. If this is your first time listening, you might pay a visit to marshallpruittpodcast.com. We have more than 800 episodes available for your perusal, plus every imaginable way to subscribe going forward. All right. Well, I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the Marshall Pruitt Podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. Thank you for listening.